0: This is Changeling the Podcast.
1: changeling the podcast come for the glamour stay for the vibes i'm your host josh and with us is your other host puka say hi puka a very fond welcome what are we talking about today puka we're putting on our philosophy
0: undergraduate hats well no i'll I'll say graduate hats i feel like we're all reasonably intelligent and articulate people here or at least we will seem that way in the edit and we're going to be talking about metaphysics in the context of changeling yes for that purpose we have a special guest
2: hello this is Terry from Mage the Podcast, the game kind of about metaphysics. Are you now our? I think you, this might make you our most frequent guest, but that's your senior mage correspondent or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. But yeah, I think you can we bring you in to ask questions such as, "What's metaphysics?" It is the study of the first principles of things. I like that the second definition as listed in American heritage is abstract theories that have no basis in reality. And I'm like, yeah, that's my boy. <laughs> um, but when we talk about it in the context of titter Pigs, tabletop role-playing games, it frequently refers to kind of the rules of the world you are running. Is there magic? Are there other dimensions? Do psychic powers exist? is the world around you psycho-reactive? Are there gods? Does prayer unleash energy? And it kind of says, we have a sense of the intuition of how objects work mechanically. Like we understand the the physics of throwing a ball kind of intuitively, but we're talking about what the layer below that is. And to me, it tries to answer what are the rules and nature of the large-scale, non-constructed things in the game? Kind of shorn of any intelligent agent what is there unless the intelligent agent is the nature of things qv a god or something like that Mm -hmm. and uh, i like metaphysics as a topic because it can do a bunch of things in our games this is kind of something i got into because one of the problems that you quickly run into in mage the ascension is if belief is the limitation on what your character can do and you can believe some pretty crackpotty things what does that do to the game so As I spent more time playing the game, running one shots and doing a podcast about it, I kind of had to come up with some things to guide conversations on metaphysics. So my goal is not to tell anyone this is what your metaphysics should be. But here are some considerations if you or your table want to answer those questions and maybe some of the benefits of doing so and some pitfalls that you can
0: encounter yeah I feel like part of the point of mage the Ascension is to ask and answer those questions as frequently and loudly as possible
1: but well, according to a, an episode you did Terry with released recently was somebody who was like involved in like the original document and was like reading it and then like helped make the first edition oh yeah 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 uh, and it was Harry like, heckle? yeah uh, yeah, yeah was, that yeah. Was, that was the original point of mage He got yeah. And he's like, maybe we can make this a game instead, maybe a bit more. Yeah. And, And
2: it's kind of interesting because in an unreleased interview, the question frequently gets brought up, what made that original edition of Mage so unplayable? And the thing was, it was very abstract. It required an intense amount of player knowledge to talk about this war of ideas. And I asked the question to this mystery guest, hey, We have made advances in game technology. We started out with Mm -hmm. war games and then we had maybe uh, parlor games that preceded that. And then we had the whole F20 run, your OGLs and D&D-like games. And then we got Fate and Fudge, games like that. And then we had the storyteller system. And now we have Powered by the Apocalypse and Blades in the Dark and Fords in the Dark and Lumen games and so on could we play that game now? And going around the table, one person was like, no, still can't do it. Another person was like, still, no, can't possibly do it. And the person who was there that helped make that
1: playable was like, you know, I think you could. (laughs) I think the irony there, like a lot of this game tech came out of people reading World of Darkness stuff and going, you're promising one thing, but your system's delivering something (laughs) different. Mm -hmm. Why don't we try making systems that deliver that? A reaction to world of darkness was a big not all of it was a big part of that Mm -hmm. like through the forge and all that but that's getting way off for changeling because we're talking about mage and there's the world of darkness right and you do kind of have to for your changeling game like we're talking generically about changeling you can definitely do things differently at your table but i do think we have to like consider like mages still exist in a changeling game it's in the core book right but how much do you let your mage metaphysics werewolf triad or whatever, right? How do that influence your global
2: thing, I guess? How do you deal with warring metaphysics or what is your meta-metaphysics as it were? And to that, I kind of have two separate answers. One, I really think the metaphysics of both Changeling Qua Changeling, Changeling on its own terms Mm -hmm. of the power of dreams and stories, allows for the existence of true mages. And true mages certainly allow for the existence of the other. So I really don't think there's too much of a fight. I do think there are very different approaches. As I think I said on the last episode, the thing that a mage looks at a Changeling and goes... Oh, everything I make will be gradually worn down by time and destroyed. In all likelihood, why is it seemingly that changeling magic can actually get stronger over time? And we can talk about specifics about the idea mm-hmm. of hyper
1: narrative or mythic threads. I also think of it as like each game, or even sub part of a game, has its own focus where it's very detailed. Mm-hmm. And then as you get up to more of the fringes, it's like not exactly completely incompatible with the other games. It's just more like. Maybe they got things fuzzy in the distance, like they're oversimplifying, that type of thing too. Like mages are concerned with how sleepers, aka mortals in changeling terms, like how their belief shapes things. And like that has some basis on changelings, but the mages are very concerned on that part, mm-hmm. right? So that maybe they're focusing so much on that they're missing some other parts of how reality works.
2: And the thing is, we only care about that level frequently in the most crossover of crossover games where yep. I am literally playing a magus and someone else is playing a changeling. Otherwise, it's kind of interesting. Mage does the opposite of picking a fight. Um, In the book Ascension, it says, hey, we live in what is called a broken cosmos, where Mm -hmm. when you are playing Changeling, the mages that you see there aren't necessarily the mages of Mage the Ascension, and their metaphysics doesn't get to trample all over everyone else. There is just kind of this near adjacent world that operates on slightly different rules. And that is kind of a canon get out of jail free card. If you ever have a player that's like, well, that's not how it would work in vampire. It's like, well, we have vampires here. We don't have kindred in this game or something like that. So it's just something to keep together.
1: But, But you can even still have like mages work like mages, vampires work like vampires, but like the bit in vampire talking about some weird spirit thing doesn't have to fit the werewolf bit talking about a spirit thing.
2: Oh yeah. We do not need to assume that each game that uses the same word means the same thing. So, I I think you brought up a perfect example. Is is it equivalent to say that Umbrood, Spirit, Demon, Bane, and Chimera are all the same thing? Heck no. Mm -hmm. One may choose to read it that way. So, so that kind of gets us to the question of what do we get out of trying to answer these metaphysical questions at our table? And kind of to me, they serve three different purposes. Uh, They can serve as a guideline to adjudicate rules questions they can provide opportunity for plot and they can help create an internal model for a game. So for instance, Mm -hmm. one thing I don't know that Changeling talks about is Some things about a character may not be changeable in a meaningful way as written. So most people don't have the option to just kind of spontaneously become taller, although with effort we could gain or lose weight or cut our hair. Can a changeling change their kith? And one of the things that I think is important, both answers to a metaphysical question should be interesting and engaging. And now Mm -hmm. we could get to this interesting thing that says, no, not even say naming as an art has the ability to change it. And now we have this interesting commentary on essentialism. If the answer is yes. Oh, wow. How do you change it? Is someone going to set off this Ferlic, this change wave across changeling society? Does that get to be this cool new meta plot event? Or is it something that is fantastically difficult? Like you have to change the dreams and desires of all the people who
1: gave Mm -hmm. birth to the dream that became you. Uh, I don't know. So are you talking about changing a kith, like the category, like kith as a category, or are you talking about an individual changeling's kith? Uh, an individual changelings, Kith. Yeah. You just have to die. That's easy. Yeah, well, that, well, that's the, the <laughs> whole, in the, the whole, uh, yeah. In the so the slowest agree yeah. 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 I mean, I think naming does seem to allow, for if it allows werewolves to become puppies. <laughs> I don't... And, and that's the thing though.
2: If If the werewolf becomes puppy example, which is literally the example that they give for naming, I think it would be interesting if the answer were no. And mm-hmm. now suddenly Kith is something deeper. Now you get to go and say, well, maybe the mundane world is the dream. So that's what I'm saying. Like either of those answers, I think can be interesting and compelling.
1: I think maybe we should try to think about what are the big metaphysical things in Changeling? Like there's some overarching concepts, I think. And then there's details and things like that. And it Mm -hmm. might be useful to sort of outline that. I'm not sure me and Puka agree on this. And
0: yeah, we probably have our own things that we think are the crucial basic questions, but
1: yeah. I mean, glamour and banality, you could say, are the biggest cards, yeah. I guess. So the one that I find
2: most curious is we get the idea that there were these ancient entities that emerged from the mists or the dreaming, depending on if you're talking mm-hmm. about Dark Ages Fae or not. And my question is, like, did any of these entities actually precede humanity? I think it's an mm-hmm. interesting question because it helps frame the entire world of darkness as a place where humans navigate a harsh terrain that is already poised against them. Or is this a setting of cosmic insignificance that we are just these agents dealing with night folk? And again, either answer to me is interesting.
1: Yeah, there's an even deeper question. It's where does glamour come from, which I think ties into that. Does it come from humans or does it come to humans? And I could sort of see these ancient things, like you're talking about Tuatha, the Nanon, and Fomorians and stuff coming along with that. Yeah,
2: because are these entities all just creatures of human myth? And Mm -hmm. we have this weird kind of retro causality, which to me is empowering about the notions of humans and their dreams. And changelings are just kind of another front. But if the option is the opposite, that there truly Mm -hmm. were things that preceded humanity, like your characters can now quite literally be an heir in the war between the Tuaha and whatever else, the Fomorians, whatever you want it to be. And again, trying to make it so that both options are interesting is important to me. And kind of in the one that you bring up, uh, frequently it is the case that the answer to a metaphysical question is it doesn't matter. Mm. So for instance, an actual argument that, that comes up is, I don't think the answer to the question of does contracausal free will exist is an interesting answer. Hmm. I, I personally don't believe in free will. I think if you rewind the tape of the universe and hit play again, you get the same thing that comes out the other side. But for me living my life, the answer doesn't actually change how I live my life with some few exceptions. I think it is ultimately a source of compassion for me because some people aren't very good at driving their little person car as I like Mm. to call it. Mm. But then again, if I don't think free will existed, I have no choice but to believe that. So I fully recognize the irony there.
0: Mm -hmm. I'll go with what Tallulah Bankhead said. If I could live my life over again, I'd
1: make all the same mistakes, only sooner. (laughs) But in Changeling specifically, if you're talking about what is free will, I mean, that's mechanized in a weird way. And you have the Something very different from what you usually see in real world metaphysics. It's like, well, you have a player making decisions and then you have mm-hmm. your character where some of these decisions are easier or could be cause consequences. It's not quite the same as like this. Yeah, it's it's almost Dickardian, in a weird way, but like in game, out of game. But uh... except for it is provable. <laughs>
2: like, <laughs> yeah. The interface problem has been solved in Changeling. They're called
1: players. Well, and willpower, legacies... Mm-hmm. Glamour systems, systems,
0: just as a as a note i just want to put out there that not all of our listeners might be familiar on a, a terminological mm-hmm. basis with some of the things we're throwing around so
1: that's true sorry
0: yeah descartes renee known for mind-body dualism anyway
1: yes yeah also compatibilism it's the idea that everything is determined and that's not a relevant question really to free will but anyway
0: to the point, though, about whether or not things like the Toa and the Fomorians preceded humanity and the sort of chicken and egg relationship that mortals have with the Dreaming. To me, I often feel as though, regardless of what the answer is, the more interesting thing to me is the debate that characters, whether they're player characters or storyteller characters, would have those kinds of discussions in world and how that would maybe not shape their choice of legacy, but like how does that influence their outlook on the world? How does that determine Mm -hmm. their beliefs about things like the nobility and whether the she should actually be on top? Because it is kind of like, I don't want to go so far as to say that every religion has its own deep and developed set of metaphysics, but there are these connections in the sense that they are these questions that are very difficult to answer conclusively. And so having some measure of just this is what I believe has to be kind of implicit Mm -hmm. in it.
1: Yeah, and we do have examples of common Kithane, at least, beliefs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That are and uncommon, patently <laughs> false. Like, they're, the idea, the way they're presented, it's like, this is a thing Kithane believe. Vampires used to be red caps. I don't think the game wants you to take that idea seriously. But then
0: conversely, being a game, you certainly can and rework yeah. the setting if you want to.
1: Oh, definitely. You could. I mean, you could golden rule anything. And, yeah. and there's a lot of questions that are meant to be left open. But I think there's still a structure there to discuss, or else we'd just be like, do whatever you want, and then we're done the game, we're yeah. done our episode. It's
0: a, it's a broken cosmos, both in and out of the game.
1: Yeah. One thing that's been sort of a through line, not just in C20, across Changeling, it's definitely there in the game, and I think it's important, but I haven't, I don't hear it discussed a lot, is Changeling is, in a sense, animistic. I don't know if that's the quite the right word, and I don't mean like werewolf, where there's like a dual spirit for everything. But I mean, like everything has opinions. Everything has.
2: It, it sounds like it's it's more a panpsychist thing. Mm-hmm. Every everything has cognizance. Yeah,
1: not, but not, not everything's one consciousness. But like a table has an opinion. You can talk to the table with the right arts. When you do a bunk, you are basically doing like a Dadaist, like trying to make things ridiculous to the autumn world to make it more accepting of your crazy glamour. Basically, the dreaming itself is very. It's not a thing you can talk to, but it has wants and goals and instincts, instincts. Yeah. And it's kind of in changing everything's like that. And that's how you like, you can talk to your rock and the rock will have opinion on things and you're not talking to a spirit of a rock. You're talking to the rock. Well,
2: there are kind of two places to take that to me. Uh, one, just to kind of define panpsychism, it's the view that the mind or a mind-like aspect is a fundamental and ubiquitous feature of reality. This is not to say that there is only one mind, Oh, okay. But yeah. that mindliness in some way is out there. And I like what you bring up because one of the things I find interesting is even when a setting presents something as true, I think we can get some really interesting results if we take that outcome and try and figure out what else could get us there. And mm-hmm. to me the the setting that you kind of presented everything you can talk to everything. There's kind of two. One is that actually that's just us projecting. So for instance, mm-hmm. I can say that a fire wants things and acts like it has wants and drives, or certain types of geological phenomenon, and that is a way of simply anthropomorphizing it. So what if there is a group that merely believes that all of these things we claim have minds are actually just entities that we are kind of projecting our own beliefs onto? That can get us to absolutely monstrous places where Mm -hmm. this group of changelings feels perfectly comfortable dissecting a chimera. And much like the doctors of the 1600s say, I'm not actually injuring this creature. It is merely producing a yelp or a holler as if in the same way that if I were to pull a spring out from a watch, it would make a sudden tick or or metallic Mm -hmm. noise. The other way I think you could take that is instead of everything having a spirit – it is basic knowledge we have that in that moment of magic, we are investing in it. So the spirit of the rock we are talking to somehow within us, we already contain the wisdom of the rock. And that Mm -hmm. art allows us through this kind of pantomime to present it. And now we get this view of every changeling contains all stories that could be told. And our act of interacting with the world is not revealing other people's stories, but more or less imposing those stories on the other entities. And to me, the interesting things about those are the world would still look the same, but these three different characters could have that argument. Does Changeling get set up as a place where people have those kind of arguments?
1: Briefly. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Not on that particular topic, but it tends to come down to more socially relevant things like what are the she? Got it
0: what level of fey do you need to affect this target? Well, that okay, not that only in-game, exactly. okay, that, that's a mechanic, That's
1: a game mechanic thing that you need to...
0: Yeah, it's a much more practical, I would say. Yeah, But I mean,
1: in-game thing. you will have arguments like, do the she actually have the right to rule or not? And right. And that will be...
0: Well, but that's a political one too.
1: Yeah, but has the dreaming imposed that, right?
0: Yeah. Which then raises the question of what does it mean for the dreaming to impose something mm-hmm. if it mm-hmm. perhaps ultimately comes from the dreams of Umeph?
1: Or another one that would be like, are the inanimate the dreams of inanimate things? Or are they the dreams of mortals about inanimate oh, things? I already
0: answered that one on the other episode.
1: <laughs> yes, but that's just another example. Just to...
0: At this point, I think it might be useful if, say, Terry, you might have some general guidelines for answering metaphysical questions that do come up in a game.
2: Yeah, I am weird, apparently, for in terms of made storytellers in that I think these arguments are fun, but I don't want them to be the preponderance of the game. I kind of want that tabletop experience of characters running around and interacting with the world and having motives and so on to kind of be a little more focused. That isn't to say like on one end of the spectrum, you have Furiosa in Mad Max Fury Road where the interviewer says, "Uh, Furiosa, do you think that you're a commentary on the disempowerment of modern women? And Furiosa just yells, there's no time we have to get the truck moving. Uh, Do you think you're a commentary on the disabled and their presentation in popular media? We have no time. We need to get the truck moving. I'm not quite at that level of things, Mm -hmm. but uh, some things I try and keep in mind in games that have a metaphysic of some sort that is not solved for you. We were talking before the show about Invisible Sun and Invisible Sun tries really hard to be like, no, there aren't metaphysical questions. I am going to answer all of them for you. Thanks, Monty. So uh, one, games aren't physics engines you may run mm-hmm. into a player that really wants to probe metaphysical mechanics. And that just may not be suited for tabletop play.
1: Or at least for changeling
2: mechanics. Yeah, <laughs> for for this game. yeah. To some extent, if one could easily poke and do experiments and unfold the metaphysics of the game, that probably would have already happened in the setting. Like from my knowledge of changeling, there are people trying to figure out, done how the rules work. And they've been working long and hard on it. Still working. Yeah, that's one thing. Like, only expect so much. And if you just decide to stop and say, like, FFS, Jerry, it's Thursday evening, we get to play Changeling for three hours, just, like, roll for damage. (laughs) Like, I think you are fully within your right to do that. Uh, Again, it's useful to come to an agreement of what you want the game to be about ahead of time.
1: I mean, if everybody wants to sit there in character have metaphysical argument for three hours and everybody's having fun, including Mm -hmm. the storyteller, great. And having a little bit of that, you know, five minutes of that in a session, I think that's fine if some people like it, right? When you were talking about like, okay, there can be different questions for to get the same outcome. Maybe try to have your game have evidence, like have the evidence not clearly point at one of those answers if you want to keep it ambiguous. It's not about arguing the game. The purpose isn't just exploring it. They do encounter things that will lead to metaphysical questions and give evidence towards things.
2: Yeah, one of my rules is no in-world group or person should have the total truth. Like if the yeah. circle of outward silence has figured out that the dreaming is just the dreams of the aha who lines slumbering waiting for someone to master the realm of fairy to six dots and then to use spring one to awaken them, there should be a similar group who is trying to do that on the for the Fomorians and they're both yeah. right. So yeah, you make an, a useful dichotomy and the characters discussing it is different from the characters investigating it. And my comment mm-hmm. about games aren't physics engines is there's often not an answer to what happens in that experiment. And and to your point, Josh, yes, where you can try and keep that answer preferably a little bit ambiguous. Science mm-hmm. is hard, so keep that in mind.
1: Science is hard in the real world, let yeah. alone changeling,
2: yeah. Another thing is... If you run into a scenario with a player that feels that they have discovered one weird trick that breaks the setting or the system, try and come up with a reasonable explanation or have consequences. This is something Mm -hmm. that frequently happens in crossover games where someone's like, ah, glamour and pathos and... Quintessence and Vitae and Gnosis are all the same thing. So my sluel wants to lead an army of wraiths. So I'm going to use glamor from my Balefire to invest emotional meaning in these bullets, which I'm going to destroy, which is going to allow them to take over Stygia because it's mm-hmm. going to reform in the underworld. And it's just like, okay, I I appreciate your work. And, and you've got a bunch of ways that you can go from here. One is it just may not be how things work. It may be the fact that it works the first time because of the sheer wonder your character has investigated and is this weird-ass plan going to work? Kind of the second option is something else happens. And this answers the question of, well, why hasn't someone else done it? Uh, One of my other kind of setting rules is the idea that if it is a setting where people investigate the metaphysics, other characters in the world are investigating the metaphysics, and you would mm-hmm. need to explain, why are you the first one to figure this out? This frequently happens in Mage, where characters are like, well, I've solved this problem, blah, blah, blah. We're all just going to win the Ascension War by shooting fireballs at each other from our Sancta, and like that's not how the Ascension War in any of the games is played, so obviously yeah. that on some level can't have worked, because that's obvious enough that somebody would have tried it by now. Another thing is the setting may step in. Instead of saying it doesn't work, it does. And now you've attracted the hierarchy, which is an entity in Wraith that finds it very important to keep the living with the living and the dead with the dead. And your character sending bullets to underworld renegades so they can fight their war. Now you've got a target kind of on your back. Mm -hmm. Maybe this happens. It's not very effective. And now your character is one of the few people who knows this. And their goal is to keep it from getting out. But again, as a storyteller, you have that panoply of options. If you don't just want to say no, and you don't just want to say yes, you can either say it's hard, it works, but not the way you want it to. It works the way you want to, but there are setting and character consequences for it. Or it works exactly. And now, if that's the case, though, frequently your game then becomes about that. Your characters are now a whole bunch of changeling underworld smugglers, which If you want to play that game, it sounds super interesting. But if again, back to Josh's point, if no one else signed up for that, try and come up with a different answer.
1: Yeah. And I think you can take Changeling in whatever direction you want, but I think if people are coming to play Changeling and they're familiar with Changeling the Dreaming, they probably want a certain type of thing. Mm -hmm. So maybe be more careful in your Changeling game about what's important in Changeling. But if your fay happens to, I don't know, reverse the Curse of Cain on Vampires It's not a big deal, I don't think, in your purely Changeling game. Unless you're, like, they're then trying to use that to, like, make the whole game about vampires. But
0: (laughs) Changeling is also, probably out of all of the World of Darkness games, the one where you can most get away with hand-waving as the story demands it. I mean probably not yeah. too much because you don't want to piss your players off and feel like they're standing on shifting sands mm-hmm. all the time but allowing someone to get away with something game breaking once and then saying no it doesn't work anymore I feel like you can impose the will of the dreaming <laughs> and just Or the dreaming
1: that. just steps in and yeah. starts empowering opposition because it's yeah. like this is a bo- you've created a boring story we need a more adventure tale and you've now stepped up your heroic capabilities So now the villains have to step up as well kind of
2: yeah the setting of changeling is very capable of taking care of itself uh <laughs> in those one weird uh trick cases so yeah that's a
0: that's a good thing to note it even has an immune response to deal with people who see too much of it
2: oh yeah the mists but to the point when a player says hey all of these things are the same pathos equals glamour equals quintessence no that is something that one or two game books kind of suggest. And again, your game isn't a physics engine. You you are under no obligation to acquiesce mm-hmm. to that out-of-world knowledge. So uh, feel comfortable again with that whole spectrum of answers that we outlined. And right. my only note is, if you go in that direction and you realize that that's not the direction mm-hmm. you want the story to go, I think it's perfectly reasonable to talk over the player like, hey, I think this is pulling a game in a direction that we are not finding interesting what is a good way to wind this down? Would you like to gain a weird cork to represent your time doing this? Um, Maybe I give you a few experience points to represent that you bought in to get these abilities in the first place. Maybe that has caused character growth such that you can now kind of direct it somewhere else. Uh, Would you like this to introduce a new antagonist into the setting? Would you like to just say that my character is no longer interested in this? And they had a moment where they realized this isn't what they want to do, but, you have no obligation that once you have allowed a departure from what maybe your core setting is and realize, no, the game isn't going in a direction that the table is enjoying, try and be somewhat graceful when you pull it back. The way this manifests frequently in Mage is a character sets up a big thing, goes, I'm going to do this effect with this, 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 and this. And I'm like, those spheres can't actually do that. I understand why you thought they could, but you've spent two sessions building up to it I'm going to let you do it once and your character is going Mm -hmm. to accrue four points of paradox from the sense of overreach as their avatar strained to contain this magical power. You now know going forward, you can't do this next time. Maybe check in with me first. So we we are frequently adults playing games with ambiguous rules. If someone oversteps, if there's a way to bring it back into line gracefully, try and do that rather than just doing frequently what the rule book suggests and just punishing them. (laughs) And changeling,
1: I've had this in every edition, but C20, there's a bunch of examples where the rules are kind of, you read them straightforwardly. You're like, oh, this could be pretty bad. Like you mix Time Realm with a bunch of different cantrips and mm-hmm. you can get very silly things happening. Like Time Realm with Pyretics 5, one interpretation, you pretty straightforward to be, you're kind of immortal now. And that could be upsetting for a game that say has like fighting in it. Yeah. Changeling really could use some Paradox Spirits.
2: Yeah, paradox chimera. <laughs> but to what Josh said, if a character starts buying up those things and saying, hey, I'm doing this and this is the clear reading and you don't want the game to go that way, that's a great opportunity to say, hey, would you like to put these dots elsewhere? I recognize yeah. that you put a lot of in-game time into that. Try and be somewhat graceful when you're kind of doing that course correction.
1: Or or come up with, be like, okay, here's what it's going to do. It's still useful, but not like, there's no other point for the other player character to be here. You can do everything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh,
2: that's kind of my overview. I'm not too familiar with what I would call the fundamental questions uh, of Changeling, but I know uh, Pook, you threw some out and I thought those were kind of interesting yes. if we want to start going through those.
0: Well, so these are the ones which I feel it just come up over and over again in arguments, debates, friendly debates, let's call them that. And not so much about these topics themselves, but all of the questions people ask seem to kind of circle back to these And I think the biggest one is what are chimera and what is phase stuff? What is dream stuff? So I pulled out a short passage from C20, which we're going to try to stay pretty edition agnostic, but C20 is a good point of reference because that is the current edition. And I do think a lot of these questions, they attempted to answer in a cogent way with mixed Mm -hmm. success. So in C20 core, it says, What exactly comprises chimera is an enigma. Though many fae have made a study of dreamstuff, all but the most basic properties escape definition. Changelings can't even be certain that chimera are, in fact, real. Though the fae and the enchanted can observe chimera with all five senses, chimera cannot affect the mundane world except under special circumstances. The dreamstuff that makes up a chimera's form is somewhere between glamour and banality. It is crude yet elegant, able to retain a shape while being malleable, and can change its properties so that it mimics flesh, Grass, leaves, fur, breath, rock, water, soil, ice, fire, dragon scales, or anything else a person can dream. So I like that. I like that Mm -hmm. it's confronting head on the fact that even the authors of this game aren't quite sure how to define it. And much like Invisible Sun, maybe they kind of sidestep the question, leave it to some degree in the hands of storytellers and players, and open up the doorway for countless hours of trying to hash this out
1: to no avail. Yeah, C20 does nail it down a little bit though like previous well,
0: think... <laughs> it's... That's, that's as much as they nail that down at least
1: no but there is a little bit like can your regular chimerical dog walk through a wall well right yeah. wall? no unless they break a hole in it or something but there was other books in previous editions that we'll be getting to where they're just treated like incorporeal things that can move through which chimera can become It like can become yeah. dream form but to some extent i
0: do think it is variable by addition but writ large it's one of those things where i'd say the game provides a dial and leaves it open Mm -hmm. for interpretation so like for myself i'd probably peg it to the richness of glamour in the game that i'm running whether it's a glamour rich game or a glamour poor game and like it alters the setting in slight ways if you're running a glamour poor game but then there's tons of chimera running around You know, what does that do to the role of changelings in that ecology? Because Mm -hmm. these are the kinds of things that I like to hash out, Mm -hmm. putting the setting together for my game. And for myself, I've never been a fan of the idea that chimera are 100% as real as everything mundane until somebody notices them. Which, if you go all the way to the end of the spectrum, it's like, okay, as soon as you close the door, all of the chimera are going to run around and mess everything up until you open the door again. I like it more it's the kind of stuff which can be explained away. Mm -hmm. I remember learning about the theory of the uncanny and this idea that uncanny literature deals in things that could be supernatural but don't have to be. And I like applying that to Chimera in the real world. Like, maybe some ambulatory fish beast did actually steal your keys, but then again, maybe not. Maybe you just left them somewhere.
1: Yeah, you should be able to have... The chimerical cat knocked something off a table when no one was looking. Right, yeah, yeah. But that's it. (laughs) But you shouldn't have, like, identifiable dragon footprints in the mud. That everyone can see. Right. That's... Or like,
0: can a camera call 911? Mm-hmm. Nobody's watching them pick up the phone, but like, you know, this has an immediate direct impact on the world around you. So I like them uh, as. That might, that, that might explain why your phone pocket dialed. Well, yeah. Yes. So yeah. something like that, maybe. Yeah. But I like them as the creak in the floorboard from the next room or like mm-hmm. the sock that vanishes in the washing machine. Those little mundane or seemingly mundane things that don't directly impact the game. On the other end of the spectrum, I'm reminded of like the, what are they called? The weeping angels from Dr. Who, where it's like, they don't move as long as you're looking at them. But then as soon as you turn away, all kinds Mm -hmm. of things can happen.
2: Yeah. the, The thing that I feel when kind of figuring out the chimera question is the overriding thing I get in Changeling is that like desire dreams and emotions have very real energy to them. Mm -hmm. And to me, kind of in the same way that a magnet moving through an electrical field generates a current flow, there is some other medium out there that generates energy that can spontaneously coalesce into Chimera. Uh, The tricky part is getting this energy into the dreaming is somewhat difficult. In most cases, the energies kind of just bounce off the mists, but particularly talented or powerful mortal dreamers have the ability to kind of part this veil as do changelings. Changelings with the ability to shape chimera have figured out how to kind of interface with this medium with much yeah. more efficiency, or to harness.
1: Yeah, I have a slight adjustment. Mortals can influence chimera in the dreaming, like far away in the dreaming, almost easier than they can right in front of them, like. Yeah. yeah, so like your weird recurring nightmare monster mm, probably is somewhere in the dreaming. But it could be like far dreaming or some spawning field. Mm. It's not in your bedroom necessarily unless things unless things are going very bad for you. Then
2: the answer to the question is the thing you're dreaming about nearby is generally no. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> And to me, this becomes a question in major crossover games of what does it mean to perceive Chimera? Mm -hmm. And like, this to me gets into a very interesting epistemological and phenomenological question. Like, what do they actually see? And to me, this is one of the places where like RPGs frequently leave a lot of money on the table. Mm -hmm. Like my presumption is if you are enchanted by a proper changeling, you just see the damn thing. Mm -hmm. Every other way of seeing it is going to be partial. So for Mm -hmm. instance, you gave the example earlier of dragon footprints in the mud. They are there, but most mortals don't know how to see a dragon footprint. And when you were enchanted, you see the literal outline. But if you are someone who uses some other way, maybe you are part of a human culture that believes in dream walking or something similar to that, or you're a mage, you can see this kind of in a bunch of other ways that are subtle perceptive things. Like you see the She Knight, and it wouldn't be the visage of someone on a chimerical horse with armor but you just kind of see that someone is a driven person who is trying to protect something. Their hoodie has a slight like mm-hmm. glint to it. The thread around the edges forms the outline of plate mail. And there's just all these kind of hints at it. And like another way to look at it is it's a different sense. Like seeing chimericality is as orthogonal from the existing senses as each sense is from each other. It's like asking what is the sound of the smell of a mango? hmm and to me, that is fun because it creates that surreality, like that self-same knight laces her shoes with nobility and the knowledge that harm will bounce off of her. And that is how you know that the character has chimerical armor. And the cool thing is you can do an in-game, out-of-the-game thing where you say, this is what your character experiences. Oh, by the way, Martha, four points of chimerical armor. I don't know if that's mm-hmm. a thing, but I'm going <laughs> to act like it is. Like, Yeah, basically.
1: It's, it's, yeah. The background's got something yeah. different,
2: but you're basically there. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the the Dread Dragon appears as a pile of shifting cardboard boxes in the wind and is described to you as a heap of moving garbage Mm -hmm. inhabited by menace. So whenever this this dragon seemingly moves, there's a gust of wind tied to it. So you keep that plausible deniability. The one thing I always go towards when I try and think about what are the limits of chimerical reality influencing the real world is I enjoyed Satanic Verses by Salman Rushdie. And a lot of fantastically possible things are in that book, but they all, as you mentioned, have that other explanation. Yeah. Yeah. I also like the idea that chimerical experience for anyone who isn't an enchanted or a changeling, it just replaces another sense. So, for instance, your character now can hear chimerical reality. They can't see it, yeah. but they notice the kid walking down the street dragging a stick really sounds like they weigh four hundred pounds, are an ogre, and that stick is actually a, a four point treasure in the form of a mall. Mm. When we were portraying these things in the game, so. I like the metaphysical question because it can modify how we present this game to our players, especially if they're not just a, a run-of-the-mill yeah.
1: Changeling experiencing the Chimera. Yeah. One thing that also the books are clear about, but I find Changeling players, and especially people who are vaguely familiar with Changeling, don't clue into about chimerical reality. Like With the exception of maybe extremely banal people and places, there is a chimerical quality to everything. Mm-hmm. Everything looks different. The colors are different. The artwork might not be the same painting at all. There might be a painting that isn't there. People, a really, like a really nasty, angry person, might be looking more like a red cap, even though they're still just human. Like there is more to that too. It's not just mundane reality plus like a bunch of chimera running around. It's mm-hmm. it's it's reimagining a lot of stuff, like kids making stuff up of what they're seeing around them and interpreting differently. So there is that too. So there, there's chimera that are like. Yeah, that's not just a reinterpretation, but there's also just reinterpreting the world around you in a chimerical way.
2: That that to some extent, except for the the most banal people, chimera or chimericality are always present. And I like your idea of kind of a chimerical gallery of some sort. Mm -hmm. There are only 80 actual paintings in this gallery, but based on which ones you purport to see whether it's more or less than that, that some changeling group uses that to infer something about a dreamer who talks about how jam-packed a particular yeah. room was with dolly prints or something like that. And they're like, hmm, you saw 88 paintings in there. That's interesting. But every mortal sees some cross-section of it because there's no actual catalog that's produced. I, I very much like that. Mm-hmm. And and maybe you have that metaphysical investigation group that uses this gallery as a way of poking and prodding at, at, at the limits of chimera and human perception.
1: They also do suggest, and not just mages or, or those with certain supernatural abilities, the extremely low banality people like babies or just a person who whatever current events are making them not quite fairly low banality even if normally they are a higher banality person or animals animals yeah that does kind of slip through again it's not the full enchanted but like you're talking about one sense but not another or it could be you're seeing one thing differently but not another thing next to it differently that too does come in I had threatened in our discussion before recording
0: to bring in the phenomenology of perception, because that's one of those Mm -hmm. academic niche fields that I'm really into. And I won't do that, but I do think it is useful for kind of hashing some of this out. There's the sort of well-trod aphorism that we see things not as they are, but as we are. And it makes me wonder, and this I think is something that probably comes up in mage discussions quite a bit as well, whether or not there is some kind of, you know, objective chimerical quality, or is it just the glamour of the observer reflecting off of that? Because even if there is that objective reality, there's the argument that we can never fully perceive it by virtue of having knowledge and culture and memory and experience kind of affecting our perception. And so as Terry, you said, about having another sense in a way. I feel like that sense, the level of development that it has, the the number of dots and kenning someone has, maybe, that's Mm -hmm. training your perception to be able to perceive that glamorous truth, that chimerical quality, less obscured, maybe.
1: Yeah, I think this fits the books, but it also just ease of gameplay. I do have the, let's suppose, zero kenning but enchanted or changeling perspective, He's mm. going to be fairly common among all of them.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Like I can describe a house and the chimerical qualities of it. I don't need to describe it differently to every player. <laughs> like, that's yeah, the- for sure. Yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah. What game would require you to have a place out in the world that is different depending on the person who viewed it? That is a joke about frequently how the spirit world is presented in Mage, mm-hmm. which is initially something like, ah, you see Coyote. Ah, you see the Mad Hatter. You see... Which like initially I'm like, oh, that's kind of interesting. And then the first time I ran a story, I'm like, oh, that's remarkably hard to maintain. Mm -hmm. And then as time goes on, that's a remarkable act of cultural syncretization that is unjustified.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But if you took that and then applied it to like the mud ball, that would just be, or whatever the word is for the earth. What is the word in mage for like physical world? We don't have
2: one. There isn't one. That's the one word we don't have. Everything else has a word. We have (laughs) words that never get used again, but we don't have a word for that. (laughs) Gah! Saturals hear me cry. Anyway, no, um, in Sorcerer's Crusade, it's referred to as the common world. The term I've settled on is the mundane world Mm -hmm. to describe that. And I I do like your point that it is almost a power to see something with none of this chimerical reflection on it. I do like the notion of the chimerical or of changelings to be, I can briefly force everyone to see this thing the same way. And so much agreement Mm -hmm. on what an
1: element of reality is makes it real. Mm. Yep. I do think it's relevant also the way they describe enchantment. It's definitely shocking to a mortal if you enchant them and they're not expecting it or any memory of it. But it's not as shocking as it probably should be. (laughs) Well, it's the dream logic kicks in too. Yeah. Blithe acceptance. It's not just enchantment of the senses, it's also enchantment of the mind. Yeah. It's not 100% enchantment. You're 100% acceptance. You're still like, "Mm, this isn't right. But (laughs) you're not like, I am hallucinating now. This is bad. I need to go to the hospital.
2: The The poison and the cure kind of come along together in the same ride yeah. is something I appreciate.
1: But yeah,
0: chimera, who knows what they're made of. In mage terms, I guess they'd be prime mind fusions or something akin to the hobgoblins suffered by mages and quiet, but...
2: Mind, Prime, and Spirit are generally the yeah. spheres that Mage calls on to affect it, but uh, Mind and Mage is frequently forced to do a lot of work. Like There's kind of a, a revised version where it's like, ah, if you're not sure, at Prime. And then there's the rest of Mage where it's like, ah, it's not a rock. Make sure there's there's Spirit involved. Mm-hmm. Well,
0: Changeling traditionally said Spirit for dealing with things, Fae, and then M20 seemed to go hard in the mind direction instead. So. It, yeah, it was introduced in late revised.
2: Yeah. Kind of there was an idea that for a mage to affect any other type of night folk would require the regular sphere plus. So you need matter to affect a vampire. You need spirit to affect a werewolf. Mind to affect a, uh, a changeling. Prime to affect a mummy, which I was... <laughs> big fan of big fan of so we still don't have they don't require entropy to interact with a ghost Mm. but it makes it much more effective and suddenly you're interacting with their specter or their shadow instead of the rest of them i'm waiting to find what the correspondence thing is real excited for that yeah
1: i i tend to not like that as much just from the changeling perspective like i think i don't know if you get a mundane burn i think life should be fine to heal it or something but not not with some other sphere uh,
2: it is life it would be life plus so the idea yeah. is if i wanted to do direct chimerical damage it might be forces plus mine yeah that's fine but not
1: okay i i read them sometimes it's like okay if i want to just do forces damage i'd have to do forces plus mine oh, like, okay.
0: so we could probably keep talking about chimera for quite a while but i'm fine to move on for now mm-hmm. at least so the next one on my list was to say, how is the dreaming positioned in relation to other worlds, cosmologically speaking? Because the dreaming is not in the Umbra. I repeat, the dreaming is not in the Umbra. But it can touch the Umbra. But it can touch the Umbra and it's connected to the Umbra and it's
1: between the layers of the Umbra. I will acknowledge those things. I think the Dreams and Nightmares introduction chapter does a great job of giving a thing that works. There's no canonical world of darkness. Everyone's just going to follow that book but i think it's a good
0: but the the dreams and nightmares intro also posits like a, another additional space that lies between the cracks of all of the hitherto described yeah. spaces and that other space is then never mentioned again so like it, it opens even more questions but yeah I, well i like that one but uh, for other it also keeps mixing its metaphors and that drives me crazy <laughs> That's
1: actually, it's not true. I'm, I'm
0: fine with mixing metaphors.
1: I think mixing your metaphors is actually kind of important for like in-game changing metaphysics. Like Perhaps a so. metaphysician, they should be mixing the metaphors a lot. In any case, yes, the dreaming is its own
0: separate thing. Terry, I suspect you might have thoughts on what is in Mage called the Maya.
2: Yeah. Okay. So it's interesting that you brought that up. To me, everything that's not mundane reality is in the Umbra. <laughs> mm. Um the, the confusion to me comes from the fact that we refer to the high, middle, and low Umbra, and those are the three Umbre, but the three Umbrae do not, by any stretch of the imagination, include all of the Umbra. So mm. it, it is a terminologically messy there. thing.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes. I, I, I will I will accept this polysemy. Yeah. My problem is like you can take a different approach and you'll be like, okay, well, that means if a mage goes into dreaming, and they're there for, what, 60 days? They're going to discorporate? Mm. Like, no, that's
2: I don't like that. So a mage in the Dreaming is generally going to be present astrally, as per if they're doing it from the mage side. Mm.
1: Yeah, I, I was thinking like you would chant them, and then they just go walk with a changeling and hang out around in you know, a trod.
2: Yeah. So the phenomenon that Josh is talking about is in second edition Mage and then really hammered down and revised was the idea of disembodiment or discoporation, which is if a mage spends too much time away from Earth, they are converted to ephemera and can never... Go home again. They become a spirit. Their spheres get turned into charms and revised really kind of doubled down on this, that the only way to avoid that was to, in some way, fundamentally change yourself by making an agreement with a spirit patron using, for instance, the totem background or something like that, or literally to convert your lifeblood into a stronger tether or a a number of other ways, making, making a pact of some sort. So if you want to treat it as an other other place, that's fine. Because the other analog is we never got the idea that discoriating occurred on the digital web. Mm-hmm. So we have the three umbra, the high, middle, and low. One is the ideas of humanity. One are the feelings of humanity or the ideas of nature, as it were, and then you have the low umbra, which is either the realm of death or memory or enigma. There, there are a bunch of ways to present it. And in Mage, shooting through these locations are what are referred to as zones. They go across all of them, of which the kind of the two best known are the digital web, which is kind of the embodiment of all electronic knowledge and all in what is referred to as twicoidian cosmology, the representation of all integrated Information represented within data objects, which is a delightfully Byzantine sentence to say out loud. But the zones kind of cut across the other umbre. The analogy they use is if the umbre are layers to the cake, the zones are a swirl of caramel that may go between layers. I like that idea, but if you're making a layer cake, it's really hard to do that. Yeah. So uh, Pook asked about the Maya, which is the realm of dream presented in mage and one of the questions is is that the same thing as the dreaming and my answer is generally no they do likely touch and contain each other and this is the part where i don't want to like crap on another game line by saying oh the dreaming is just a small part of the maya the way i try and do it at my table for as long as i can manage is they are two wildly different ways of seeing the same thing so in Mage, we get the idea that there are the, that when people dream, they go to this other place, their astral self, their mental projection, goes to kind of their dream bubble. And if they find a way to escape their dream bubble using mind magic, being able to be an Oniromancer by having the domain background, mm-hmm. by having the assistance of someone else, they can kind of go outside their bubble. And the medium between it is something called the Etheric Sea or the Etheric Ocean. I can't remember which off the top of my head, uh, which is annoying because we now have two other world places known as ether space. Thanks. And it is just kind of a sea, but some people can walk on the water. And to me, those are dreamers because in Changeling, the area is largely presented as being material. And we get the idea that you can go from dream bubble to dream bubble and that there's kind of a geographic element to it, but also there's a part that is deep and a part that is kind of Mm
1: -hmm.
2: near to it. So to me, as much as I can manage, I really try and have the two be two wildly different ways of experiencing the same thing in the same way that a human can theoretically move in three dimensions in water, but a fish can do it way better. That is kind of how a changeling is interfacing with the dreaming versus a mage interfacing with the Maya.
1: How how I might go for changeling, they do talk about that dream bubble part. Mm -hmm. It's your own little personal dream realm made up of Chimera and Onomancy art lets you go there and you enter rules for it and it's fairly clear, right? But that's just your dream bubble. And sometimes maybe a dreamer can escape their dream bubble. That's probably not good for the person. And I don't mean dreamer capital, just a person dreaming. Maybe they could get out into other parts of the Maya. Like I think the bubble overlaps, but the rest of it doesn't necessarily have to.
2: I think it could also be the fact that they get out into the dreaming and they don't see the dreaming. They only see one or two layers, you know, that mortals kind of without enchantment or without changeling assistance are colorblind, Mm -hmm. as it were. They don't see one of the most illuminating analogies I've heard is what does it look like when different animals look at a rainbow? Mm -hmm. And to think that a dog, they just see kind of the red and yellow band. And a bird sees additional bands past the violet into the ultraviolet. And then you have the mantis shrimp that just kind of sees this uh, sphere of godlike light emanating from it and then cracks a sheet of plate glass with its claws because those things are ridiculous. I, I don't think we need to play a game where everyone in the same place necessarily sees all Mm -hmm. of the same elements. So I like the idea that in the same way that changelings see the ground as firm, thus they can walk on it, a mortal doesn't, and they just kind of see this cosm of dreaming beneath it and they flail about in it. And that they might see a, a changeling just kind of walking on the surface, but they may not be able to see a wrath or an entrance to a freehold or the distant cities yeah. or something like that. Those are just colors that those creatures don't know how to explore yet. So even if they're in the same place, they're having a radically different experience and they just don't know how to interact with it. Yeah.
1: But what about things aren't seeing them either necessarily though? Uh,
2: possibly not. Yeah. It could just be one of those things where, Oh, the the thing is literally roiling beneath the ground. Changelings learn how to not see those things. Otherwise, you run into a problem that the dreaming is just covered with flailing mortals having crappy dreams. And if you want to present that as the first experience with the dreaming for a changeling, I think that would be
1: cool. But yeah. Yeah, it does present it as almost like a sub-near dreaming, Mm -hmm. just the literal place that you're dreaming.
2: Yeah. In the same way that we cannot see oxygen molecules collide in air or something, I I think it would be reasonable to say something like that. So so to me, the presentation was never really dissonant between the Mm -hmm. two because... I think the the interesting thing that Mage kind of presents regarding the dreaming are the way bits of dreaming can kind of pinch off and go somewhere else. Mm. So I like the idea that when a character has a nightmare, it is not because they themselves had a bad dream, but because their little dream bubble went by a nightmarish Ooh. portion or the weird monster they see is actually a denizen of a spawning ground. And that explains why they see it three or four nights in a row. I, I think the question of Maya versus the dreaming, I think they actually play surprisingly well together. Okay.
0: It's also a way of maybe sidestepping the question of like, if a mage enters the Maya slash the dreaming from their domain or from their dream bubble, then like, do the mists affect them on the way back? And if you position the Maya as an entirely different perspective on that space, I think it's a lot easier to argue, no, maybe the mists wouldn't actually affect them.
1: There is though an interesting changeling metaphysical question where it does seem to suggest that how well you remember your dreams is tied to your banality rating. I mean, yes. Yeah. If I find that interesting, if you're banality nine, you'll basically remember nothing and won't care. I guess not caring definitely fits. And if you're banality one, you'll remember a lot of it. Well,
0: so is dreaming more or less the same as having a bubble of your own personal space floating within the dreaming? Like, Mm -hmm. are those the same thing? And I don't know that the game conclusively says that they are.
1: Yeah, you. I mean, Owner Mancy lets you enter those. The things in your dream are chimera, and you can also leave those bubbles and enter the near dreaming at the location of where the person's dreaming.
0: But are those dreams the dreaming? Yeah, because someone then wakes up; they are then leaving the dreaming. I mean, the banality chart tells you when you leave the dreaming, how much you remember. Or don't remember. Mm-hmm. So,
2: yeah, food for thought. One of the things that kind of bothers me about it, especially when talking about the other worlds, is the question of where can be answered in one of two different ways. Like we are used to thinking of spaces as volumes that touch each other in three dimensional space. But for instance, when I look at a transit map of a city, it is not distance wise accurate. It is distance wise accurate to the transit mode I am looking at. So for instance, you look at a London subway map and locations can be geographically close as in it would take less time to walk from station A to station B versus station A to station C, but A and B on the map are further apart because there isn't a rail line that goes directly between the two. So when I try and think of the geometry of other spaces, I'm thinking about not size and volume, but where are they connected? Mm. And the thing that Changeling does is it gives us the paths of valor That connect to a whole bunch of different places. Mm -hmm. We have the idea that you can have this lengthy overland journey, or you can stick to a trod to get from place A to place B. And I like the idea that once you step into the dreaming, you can move deep word and shallow word. Like, we get those as additional directions. Maybe you can also move Dream Ward and Nightmare Ward in terms of what is around you. Maybe you can move Tuaha Ward and Fomorian Ward. So now suddenly our characters have additional axes in which to move. And uh, yeah. in Invisible Sun, take a drink. You have, in addition to North, South, East, and West, you also have Ren and Stam as the <laughs> two additional magical directions that you can travel in that are never fully described. So to me, the question is rarely where so much as what are the rules and where does it connect to? Mm -hmm. Um, Because in the dreaming, we get a bunch of different cases where things can be nearby. They can be geographically close, as in the person dreaming in the house next to me is close to me in the dreaming. But someone having a similar dream to me is also in a real way Mm kind of close by. So we have these additional kind of metrics that kind of draw it together. So I, I think that that notion of place kind of changes and it is a, a useful thing to think about
0: um, when we're considering that. I sort of feel like, I think we've talked about this before, Terry, you can move forward, backward, et cetera, and then associatively is another axis. Yes. So like mm-hmm. we're, we're told in, I think it's in dreams and nightmares that the near dreaming, especially in places with a high density of dreamers it does tend to correspond more geographically, similar to the penumbra. But then, yeah, if you're having a dream that's very similar to a dream that someone on the other side of the world is having.
2: No, I like that idea because now a changeling that is moving along a trod is merely indicating that they have an intuitive sense of the chain of associations that will allow them to cover vast geographic distance quickly. Yes. Mm-hmm. And the trod is just kind of another embodiment of that. And they know the signs and sigils and omens that allow them to quickly navigate that in a way that a mage, even in the same place, seeing roughly the same thing, wouldn't. And I think that is interesting.
1: Yeah. On top of that, yeah. the fact that time does not flow at the mm-hmm. same rate as in the autumn world, there's now nothing you could use to make a yardstick with. <laughs> direction doesn't work. Time doesn't work the same. Like you can't use a clock to say this is five minutes away because it might be a year away next time or a second away again.
0: And story-wise, it gives you this this range of choices in the sense that if you and your motley need to get from point A to point B, it's like, mm-hmm. okay, well, you could travel through the mundane world and deal with all of the banality and all of the risks associated therein, or yeah. you can try to follow the trods and hop from freehold to freehold to eventually get where you're going. Or if you have an Oniromancer with you, you can just go from dream to dream, but who knows what kinds of chimera you'll encounter in there.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah, the other thing that's not even just dream associations—it's also how familiar you are with somebody. Yeah. It's like a correspondence thing for
0: sympathetic dreaming.
1: Yeah. So something we talked about a bit in our episode
0: on glamour and banality is the relativity of it, which has been, I would say, more foregrounded in the twentieth anniversary edition. How does that, in y'all's opinion, affect their nature as forces? In mage mm. terms, should they have their own resonance traits? You know, when you're thinking about glamour and banality being as much in the perception and attitude of the person perceiving the glamorous or banal thing.
2: Well, you say perceive. I think there's another way to look at it in that glamour and banality are self-generating and they are a process mm-hmm. that creates an effect in the observer. So for instance, you lift a very heavy object. Did the object caused the feeling of fatigue. Not really. It was your muscles straining, producing lactic acid that created a literal burn. Like your psyche produces glamor and banality from the process of digesting experience. Mm, yeah. But banality is kind of the natural crap that accrues when dealing with an experience. It is frequently positioned as a property of the object. To me, it is a property of the perceiver. Uh, Peter Medawar, Nobel Prize laureate in medicine actually comes to mind talking about how it is arbitrary to call something genetic versus environment when the two interface. Like if you're in a community with a common condition and the thing that triggers the condition is rare, we call it environmental. So for instance, you're allergic to mustard. If the allergy is very common in your culture and the plant is very rare, we call it environmental. If it's the other way around where the plant is ubiquitous And only some people have it. We call it genetic, even though if that person were to move to a different Mm -hmm. location with a different environmental commonality, we would kind of reframe it. Uh, So to me, it's almost more of a tag thing. Like I wouldn't quite call it a resonance You could view this as an object radiating different colors of emotion, and each of us has different filters with which we see it. Some are injurious and cause banality, and some are enlivening and cause glamour. And as we grow older or as you accrue banality, the lens just gets a little bit dimmer. It just doesn't let so much through of any given color, and you become more immune to inspiration as well as from being further ground down. And those are just kind of two ways that it, that it leapt out at yeah. me to kind of describe it.
1: I see it as actually fairly objective if you're talking about actual objects, hmm. specifically people and places, right? So this person has so much banality. This person currently has so much glamour or is generating so much glamour, right? So what I see as very subjective is what will make this person gain banality? What will make this person generate glamour? What will if that makes sense. So like even how much something else's banality will influence your banality is very subjective.
0: Well, we're kind of in a bind because the game itself presents multiple systems that I think make different assumptions along those lines. I mean, in the sense of, on the one hand, we have temporary glamour and temporary banality points that accrue and Mm -hmm. become permanent points. And they're actually these Mm -hmm. quanta on the sheet. On the other hand, you have like triggers, which are, I mean, at least one of them has to be completely subjective.
1: But no, that's what I'm saying. The trigger makes you gain more banality. What causes you to gain banality is very subjective. How much banality you gained is objective. Yeah, so there are connections between those systems, but those systems ultimately are predicated
0: on different ways, different assumptions about how banality works, what banality's nature
1: is. I, I think it's consistent. Like, okay, if you're a childling and you're encountering someone who's banality nine, that will gain you banality if you're a grump encounter something's banality 9 that's not going to gain you banality but they still have banality 9 regardless i think the
0: question for me is to what degree are either glamour or banality inherent qualities that someone or something possesses or more along the lines of how terry's putting it i think things that are Mm -hmm. generated through interaction And I think the game tries to have it both ways to an extent.
1: Yeah. Oh, I think think the generation through interaction is definitely subjective.
0: Yeah. Oh, for sure. sure. And interestingly, I think it's more so for banality than for glamour because like you do have autumn people and stuff. And occasionally there does seem to be this aura, you know, this Mm -hmm. chill of winter that surrounds them. But often it's just it's more kind of just the absence of glamour. And glamour seems to have at least some measure of independent existence because we have dross, certainly. We have glades where we're told there's natural glamour that just kind of bubbles up, or things like freeholds where no matter what kind of antithesis you have or what kind of glamour flavor you prefer, if you sleep in a balefire, you'll get some. So it's a little bit asymmetric. Yeah. I'm okay with it, but metaphysically. Yeah, but it also
1: gets a question of like, what is a dreamer like? the book including c20 is actually ambiguous as to who's a dreamer <laughs> yeah. so it could be somebody's banality seven on the sheet right and, and mechanically their banality seven but like for this one fey who knows how to amuse them they're still a dreamer
0: sure <laughs> i mean i'm i'm okay with that i do think seven sounds a bit high but
1: yeah i was trying to give an extreme example that would be yeah It'd be very rare to do that, but I think it's not impossible. But this
0: is the debate that I think we've had and we've seen happen and people are still hashing mm-hmm. out is like whether banality should just be a single number that's on the sheet for mm-hmm. every purpose. Because it does seem that it should be a little bit in flux.
1: Yeah. I'm not sure how it would work if it was... Specifically, if you're talking about changelings, mortals having banality is a sort of different question, but like a changeling, like... I don't think, like, my character, from my character's perspective, their banality is three, but from another character's perspective, their banality is five. I don't think that would... Putting
0: aside the issue of things like autumn people, I think it works more smoothly if you do think of banality as just being the absence of glamour. Because then it's not about changing the
1: banality Mm -hmm. level. I think that gets rid of a lot of nuance where you can have things of low banality and glamour. And you can have things of high banality and high glamour. No,
0: I'm I'm, I'm thinking purely from a, a functional perspective of... Yeah. Ways to re- What I think you gain in the exchange, though, I mean, I don't know that we do need to go so far as to add resonance traits to changeling or glamour, but I could see something like a kith having a glamour affinity or an individual changeling having some kind of glamour trigger or whatever, where it becomes easier for them to gain more glamour from certain kinds of people or places in the same way that like Leon and get a bonus for Rhapsody that's their thing you know anyone can get grammar,
1: but that flavor of it i don't think that's just still changing the objectivity of it it's just how you gain it not
0: it shifts the focus to the subjectivity of gaining it through interaction that's more what i'm saying i don't know that we need to do that necessarily but
1: yeah i think i think some help on who counts as a target for ravaging and uh reverie might be good but
2: The thing that's interesting to me as someone who has never partaken in one of these debates is I don't think in common parlance we would refer to the nutritional content of a food as being subjective. Mm. But for instance, I don't have the ability to digest cellulose. So grass is not a food for me, but a hindgut, let's go with foregut fermenters are able to extract that. And to me, it makes perfect sense to say, hey – your glades and your freeholds and your dross are sugar cubes. There's mm-hmm. nothing that really can't digest those. But everything does contain some quantity of clamor to it. It's just real hard to free
1: it. But I think it's that it could be like calories would actually be a good... Like if you have a hundred calories of raw sugar versus a hundred calories of very complex carbohydrate fiber stuff, what you actually get from eating it would be quite different.
2: Yeah. The trick though was using the unit of calorie there, because that yeah. is tying it back to a common thing. Like for instance, there are non-digestible things that theoretically have a caloric value to them mm-hmm. because the human body just passes it, but well, like grass. Yeah, but yeah. you can still burn it.
0: To follow the nutrition metaphor a bit, would banality then be something toxic added on top of that, or would it be a lack of nutrition?
2: Uh, to me, it's something toxic. Owls are immune to cyanide um, <laughs> awesome. and things like that, um, where it is just a poison that some people are affected. There are universal poisons. And that, those would be your autumn people, things that generally affect mm. just about everything, where other things are that niche thing that you have an allergy to, Yeah. where for mm. most people, sunflower seeds are not lethal, but to a person who can't deal with an appropriate protein or something like that, suddenly it becomes lethal. And that to me is how I view the two, which is a nice way to make it understandable, but also to suck all the imagination out of it, so I appreciated
1: that I brought reality yeah. to that. Yeah. Well, I don't. Th- I wouldn't want detailed systems of. No, 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 no. But it might be a good way to think about it, like without getting into the weeds. I I would
0: like it as a very small penalty or bonus. I think.
1: Like. Oh wait, that isn't a thing. It is.
0: It, actually. Well, there is oh, okay. the
1: there is the musing threshold and a ravaging threshold, which is two different ways of getting glamour that are different depending on your.
2: Are there people who are better at, for instance, getting? glamour out of music
1: no not out of that's oh, what yeah it?
0: it is it's all oh, that's not a the thing the thresholds are all very based on types of emotion so like create love foster hope or destroy dreams oh
2: okay because i just assumed over time changeling just like vampires would develop a particular taste for a type
0: that is one of the few mechanics from vampire fifth edition that i think would actually work quite well in a prospective changeling fifth edition is to have that like more formally mechanized but to josh's point i don't want it to be so game-breaking that it's like because that's the thing is you don't want to have all your players kind of going on side quests to find their particular vintage of glamour that they need
1: yeah it's kind of out of balance when you think about what change things are talked They're talk about really focused on artists mm-hmm. one of the musing thresholds is inspire creativity <laughs> yeah yeah Versus foster dreams.
0: The thresholds have never been, in my mind, well-developed enough to be actually useful.
1: I think of them as like the Bedlam chart from the previous editions. Mm. Like it's an idea that maybe you could turn into something useful. But
0: Having glamour affinities at a kith and or personal level are the things that I suggest for that.
1: Yeah, we do have um, rapture things and you have the, what was it? Revelry? revelry. Yeah, yeah. now there's it's revelry. specific. Yeah, anyway.
0: Maybe that'll be a patron content thing. The last one that I wanted to bring up just because it's the classic argument is troll in a doorway. And so for anyone who's unfamiliar with this, this is the notion that if a troll who is eight or nine feet tall in their chimerical fey mean walks through a mundane doorway that's, say, six foot six, and they don't stoop, even if their human form is short enough to walk through the door, their troll form is not they're effectively denying their fey mean for a moment in order to fit through the door, thereby incurring temporary banality. So you can also talk about things like satyrs wearing shoes or puka having to tuck their tails in or whatever. So it's a headache when you dig into it. I do think Mm C20 actually handles this pretty elegantly because they focus on intent as kind of the deciding factor in resolving any conflict between the chimerical and the mundane. But
1: I don't know. I wanted to open that up for discussion. Yeah, I like the C20 approach, which does actually make it, talking about subjectivity again, like Mm -hmm. chimerical reality becomes a lot more non-literal Euclidean objective. It's more, you're perceiving this this way, people are sort of taking the same perception from it. But like, if you tried pulling out a chimerical ruler and measuring things, (laughs) it's not going to work well for figuring out what's going to happen.
2: I like the idea that you pull out the chimerical ruler and you say, how long is this table? And you say three months of longing and everyone just nods knowing what that means. And then you say what yep. the actual unit is or something like that. Uh, I mean, is this something that the game could accomplish by like, is there a metric in Changeling that says the degree to which your fey main is forward or not? Like, is this something that, oh this only becomes a banality trigger if you're out of the state of balance because we are constantly in little ways denying who we are
1: it, it was actually okay so how it worked before c20 would okay. be if you're out of balance in favor of banality you might not have a banality trigger by walking through the doorway mm-hmm. but if you're in balance you would have a banality trigger by walking through the doorway
2: Is there ever a point in Changeling where the two sides almost literally get to talk to each other? Like, is there ever a literalization of the discussion of the human side and the the fae side? Because I would love you to have to cut a deal with yourself that says for the duration of this conference, you don't have to do this, but when we're done, there's going to be so (sighs) much LSD (laughs) inside of a ball pit that it's,
0: yeah. I I would say there are two instances of that. Neither of them particularly well fleshed out. Okay. One is rapture, which is the way that a changeling, it's sort of like a self-driven seeking where they kind of commune with themselves to gain glamor and indeed can gain permanent glamor from it. The other is the Shihun, who are the immortals that have reached perfect balance. In the older editions, that was their whole thing. They had reached this harmonious understanding. They got to Fei Golconda and became immortal, living in perfect balance between their fey and human sides. That has been revised
1: in C20, and that aspect has been not explored any further. In. Yeah. I guess the other would be your Narcadian Shi, and it's in the... Uh... Time of Judgment book in the no. scenario where the human you replaced shows up and is mad. Also uh, that. Like reverse Changeling the Lost. <laughs> and
0: now also in Harbingers of Winter. So.
1: Yep. But yeah, it's
0: not a regular feature of the Changeling experience as presented in okay. the game.
1: And it, the metaphor it's sort of going with is, this is very much written by people in their late teens and early 20s who were very afraid of, afraid of growing up, I think was a big... But it's the, you forgot like you used to be cool man kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Like the mortal side would be the responsible adult that doesn't really even remember the stuff that you're thinking about the stuff they did back in high school or college or something versus the more wild out there, less responsible person. That's closer to the dichotomy. I mean, it's not, that's a kind of pro banality view of it, but (laughs) I think that's a possibility. I don't know that's the only way to frame it.
0: (laughs) Um, Yeah. But yeah, in terms of, how that actually shakes out in the mechanics or in these situations that arise yeah there's not really as josh said it's it's not a trigger if your banality is already higher than your glamour i think the the earlier editions of the book did actually say oh this would be a trigger and now they've kind of walked that back in favor of saying
1: intention you don't play a character now that oh like all the grumps were already in trigger (laughs) because their banality was so much higher than their glamour yeah but
2: I'm trying to find the Henry Rollins quote of uh, "Punk isn't dead; it just has a reasonable bedtime now" or something <laughs> like that. Ooh, um, <laughs> that kind of thing. Yeah, and and when you say like the kind of that view of of youth,
1: although it is also the you used to be human and then you became aware of who you really are too. The other direction.
2: I, I just think the thing that always strikes me about these questions is I, I I am not a person with a unitary notion of self. I really don't think that there's um, a little me that's mm-hmm. piloting inside. That there are a bunch of different visages that are kind of fighting and they take turns. Yeah. So to me, the question is not. I like the idea of the troll as the troll nature being denied for so long that that becomes the symbolic moment where the storyteller says, hey, you haven't let the troll side Mm. run around for a while. Not that every Mm. door is the thing, but in game you say, you walk into this conference room with an unusually short door, and even then you do not stoop. And as you walk in to give the presentation on why your company should be the target of acquisition or something, that is the banality trigger or something like that. So I like it kind of as a symbolic idea, but just as the one per, that seems a bit much yeah. to me. Because yeah.
1: And what you're describing is more the C20 approach. I okay.
0: Think. And invoking the autumn is very much
1: that yeah. as well. Oh yeah. The other thing you can do is just decide to really not yeah. <laughs> be a changeling like for, a, for a scene.
0: You always have the option to let your human side take full precedence.
2: Interesting. And does that have a systematic effect besides the fact that for that scene, you probably don't have access to
1: arts and realms and stuff? You're also immune to chimerical damage
0: and things like that. Yeah. You read as human,
1: but in fact, you are a meat popsicle. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, the It does have a duality, just not what you're talking about. The seely versus unsealy with the two legacies. Mm-hmm. That has more of the conflict of Got duality. It. There's... Plenty more I could talk about that we could
0: go around in rings, but maybe we should look at some of these questions from listeners. Sure. So Count Clockwise asks, how do you reckon perception of chimerical reality really works? My assumption is that you see chimerical reality as a changeling, but unless you're suffering from some bedlam-related effect, you're always aware of the autumn world and can even properly focus on a given concentration. I think we've covered
1: most of that, but that's pretty much how I've read yeah. it before. How I see it is you just perceive both. Mm-hmm. Uh, it reminds me so much of LARPing. Or just make believe. Um, yeah. But it depends on the kind of LARP. Like if you're doing the most, for me at least, in the Barful LARP on the weekend camping the whole time in character, and like people are dressing up a lot more like that's more like, ch- that's more like chimerical reality to me. Like, yes, I know that he's wearing sneakers. Yes, I know that the contact lens fell out and I can just take a break. But I don't necessarily remember the mundane things if they weren't real like the real things if they were relevant. I like remembering in-game stuff that happened. It gets sense. real awkward in Nordic Larps. You have to yeah. Yeah, talk about things where people are like pretend to be cat people not. Yeah.
0: But yes, I agree that I think it is very much. It's much more about the simultaneity to me. Like you are perceiving yeah. both at once. Now, to the points we discussed earlier, how you perceive them is open to whatever, whether it's that mm-hmm. additional sense or if it's like Pokemon Go augmented mm-hmm. reality or whatever. But that's what distinguishes changelings is that they do have both lenses on at once.
1: Yeah. And that's assuming a balance too. Like, I think you can also have like a little slip up from time to time would be reasonable, but it wouldn't, I wouldn't impose it as an ST, but it'd be like, oh, I forgot about something you would only notice as a mundane thing or only notice as chimerical you might miss sometimes. Mm-hmm. But I think where it would actually impact, it's either a bedlam thing or a banality thing where you're actually starting to struggle. And that's one of the signs that your character's approaching the point where you might not be a PC anymore. So quiet. It's like quiet.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Inner paradox. As long as we don't call it a metaphor for mental illness, which
1: I never really Mm -hmm. liked. Yeah. They've at C20 sort of doubled down on it's a metaphor for toxic effects of things causing problems. (laughs) Okay. Somebody in the Discord,
0: I think, tried to make an analogy to synesthesia, which I thought was mm-hmm. interesting. I don't think it quite works, except maybe in a very specific way. But I like thinking in that direction, at least.
1: Yeah, I use synesthesia a lot for kenning rolls, mm. like describing what you're the extra thing you're picking up from rolling that wouldn't just be straightforward saying it.
0: Bro.
2: Yeah, I really think it's an opportunity to start playing around with your descriptive vocabulary. Like earlier, I talked about how mages could pick it up and in any number of other ways. But like my only note is to realize that whenever we perceive, we are generally perceiving several things at once. So I look around a boardroom, like my company has a meeting. I see both the people and what they're wearing, but I also see status. Mm -hmm. Like that Mm -hmm. is just a thing that kind of comes with it. And I think chimerical reality can be much the same way. The question is, how do we convey that in a compelling way? So we use a visual and analogy potentially to do it. But I think we have this whole spectrum of the chimerical reality is implied in the same way. So one of my favorite things to do is ask someone who is very experienced at a thing to say, what is the secret sense that you have? as an actuary, I think I have a pretty good intuition about what a one in 500 year event is Hmm. like having looked Hmm. at hundreds. Like I have an idea of what a million dollars in building loss looks like. I'm a member of the American planning association, ladies, as a citizen planner. And I love talking to the planning people and say, looking around this park, what do you see that I don't? And one goes, Oh, I, I think in terms of drainage, and that is just an extra overlay. And someone else goes, I see in terms of how humans congregate. And another person yeah. says, I can see the budgetary process that produced this park and why it has this weird shape. And to me, yeah. seeing the chimerical for your character, there may be an aspect of it that is similar. And I think
1: it's fun to have. Yeah. But Getting into other senses. Yeah. Like for me, uh, one of the first thing that popped in my head is like in my job, I'm really picking up code smells. Okay. That's part of my job to detect it. That's what it's called in programming, but it's like it's like this revulsion when you're looking, it's like shouldn't have been done that way, yeah. although it might sometimes be the least bad way, but it mm-hmm. still hurts and like other developers are like, yeah, that's not Good. Oh, I was wrong to look at this. <laughs>
2: yeah, but I guess my one recommendation there is to. I think it is reasonable that different changelings view it in different ways. It is the restriction of the fact that frequently these are pictures in books that we have to use visual media as the way of mm-hmm. conveying it, and we are in no way restricted from that in the game. Even though, if that is ultimately the way we convey it, yeah.
1: But I think I think you could also be like describing something like that, like with the smells or the sounds mm-hmm. or whatever. And maybe the player characters have no idea what that means. That's fine, too. Like, it could be a metaphor. It doesn't mean they have to all understand the metaphor.
2: Yeah, as long as they get the right information out the other side, I think you can have a lot of fun with the the conveyance. Good point.
0: So then Van Eck asks, do you think people thinking something is banal makes it so? Like, could you convince people that a certain genre of music is exhausting and droll and the dreaming makes it so?
2: I I think the interesting part of that question is the statement, and the dreaming makes it so.
0: Which is the part that I say no.
2: <laughs> it, it, yeah. To me, yeah, it, it reverses the era of causality. People perceive the music and droll, and the dreaming then reflects it. One may be able to tackle this from the dreaming side by convincing the chord of melodic requiem that the music should sound bad, but this is only going to be successful to the extent that you can then popularize yeah.
1: that idea. I see this as incredible. Entirely subjective. You can convince someone that something's banal and they will react like it is, and it would be to them maybe, but it's not. Right. People who haven't been convinced of that, it's not going to do the extra work and jump to everyone. You have to actually convince everyone.
0: To kind mm-hmm. of circle back to the debate earlier, does it make it banal for them or does it make it not glamorous for them?
1: I think it is possible to give someone an antithesis, but at least really should be, hmm. but which would be a banality trigger that.
0: Yeah, that's true. That, that would be the C20 mechanized way of doing it, yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Like, to me, there
2: is a feedback process there. So we talked about chimerical reality. Like, if you're able to change the chimerical nature of the music, then someone is more receptive towards hearing a mundane argument or being disinclined towards it. They hear the song and they go, ugh, they always play this on morning radio, but they only play it during the 9 o'clock hour, which means mm-hmm. it's late. God, this song represents my boss yelling at me. So yeah. one of the things to bring in yet another game is in werewolf we get the idea that if you smash through an umbral doorway enough times the mundane one will start to like rust and break down Hmm. I don't know how Changeling does embodiments of ideas within the dreaming, but if they are such a thing, I do feel as if there is a feedback loop and you can kind of prime it. Like you can set people to be more receptive towards disliking it by doing something in the dreaming. And then in the mundane world, you mount a media campaign that people are already primed to accept. You run your disco demolition night because for whatever reason, you don't believe in fun and you think disco is bad. Mm -hmm. I strongly recommend reading the book major labels on the history of popular music since the 50s anyway in the show notes
1: i think you're describing actually the only place i've seen anything like that is harbages of winter had a mechanic like that yeah where you're kind of breaking reality yeah when we read the book on the dreaming it didn't seem
2: to have
1: that yeah feedback but it doesn't say it's
2: not there either it's just it's an open space But we don't get embodiments of it, for instance. It doesn't seem.
0: It kind of goes the other way in a sense, because often it's the accrued dreams and emotions and feelings that people have about the object over the years that give the object its chimerical quality to a large extent. Sometimes even after Mm -hmm. that object mundanely no longer exists. So it's almost the reverse, I would say. Mm -hmm. As a side topic to that, which we don't really have time to get into, but it's an argument that I had recently is with banality, I guess this kind of more relies on it being an inherent quality maybe, how much of it comes from the outlook and the attitude and the thoughts of the person and how much comes from the actions they undertake in the world. Like if somebody is going out there snuffing out glamour, and they're passionate about that. And they they have these big dreams about how they're doing it. Like that's mm-hmm. a lot of Dante are like that as the enemies of the Cathane. So, yeah. you know, thinking about how that. But also Wilders now in C20 don't. Yeah. Do yeah. yeah. That. So like, how does that play into it? You know, that's just mm-hmm. something that's kind of on the side of my brain. The performativity of banality, if I want to call it that.
2: Glamorous banality. Yeah. Next.
0: A storyteller asks: just how much can chimerical reality get away with manipulating mundane reality? And could inlaying chimerical items into mundane ones lead to coincidental mundane items? I again think we covered that pretty well. My own take is that chimerical reality can only manipulate mundane reality to the point that a I'm gonna throw in the mage term, hypothetical observer might think there's a rational non-supernatural explanation for whatever the chimera have done but Mm. that opens up the door for me to ask terry what are your thoughts about coincidental versus i guess vulgar in changeling terms
2: um i i I don't know enough about changeling and you also have the benefit of the mists kind of making Mm. things like chimerical vehicles flying through the sky go away but like in trying to think through this we mentioned i mentioned the idea that feeling plus the dreaming equals chimera, much like a note cannot generally persist long after the instrument producing it stops being played, so too is a chimera initially tied to the phenomenon that produced it. Mm. As that chimera though, or that chimerical object interacts with other bits of chimerical reality, the tie between the object and the item starts to disconnect So that the chimerical object now has ties to other things, it has sympathetic strings connecting it, it can now persist past the destruction of one of those sides, like as an object bounces against other objects, it becomes a narrative or a thread, a web of relationships. As that narrative or thread gets changed over time, it goes from being just a narrative to being a story. And now it is a good bit more self-perpetuating, mm. but to me, this is kind of a sliding scale. Like an old jewelry box is actually a chimerical treasure chest of splintered wood with strange green light illuminating from it. A mortal handling it won't get a splinter, but they may regularly cut themselves accidentally on the metal corners of the little jewelry box or snag themselves on a piece of plastic, and they may fixate on it more even if they can't see that green light. Without undoing the chimerical lock, the latch mechanism doesn't open, whereas opening the chimerical lock means that the first combination you try opens something. Again, yeah, we're, we're coming down to the same place that mm-hmm. it should look the same. I feel somewhere between the hypothetical observer, like there is someone omnipresent just kind of watching things, and the characters there. Can weird things happen when people have their back turned? Yes, but to me, the crate that spills off the table being pushed by the chimerical cat is kind of the top end of mm. what could be done there.
1: Yeah, I go a bit further on that. But it's like actual observer. Which cause some retro causality and stuff. And yeah. probably hedge my bets. <laughs> but it's like. If no extraterrestrial mortal will perceive this. As happening. It, there's a lot more that can happen than if they yeah.
0: I'm inclined to say an interesting answer. Might be kind of following that. Chimera can influence mundane reality. To the degree that the people. Who imagine them think they can. That wreaks absolute Mm -hmm. hell with consistency for the game. But I think it would be really interesting. And this is
1: all chimerical effects. It's all weird. It's totally separate. Yeah,
0: yeah. no. Well, yeah, that's the thing. When we say influence mundane reality, I think chimera have free reign over people's emotions, minds, etc. Not free reign, Mm -hmm. but they have a lot more sway over those. But yeah, in terms of knocking things off of tables or opening doors or whatever, what do the people present think that something out there might be capable of? You know, like kind of that Mm. you hear a noise outside and you're like, oh, it's it could just be the house settling or it could be a burglar or whatever. So if you have now created this incidental chimerical burglar monster, velociraptor, whatever, is it your mundane meat brain that has the final say in determining what that chimera is not capable of? Or is it your imagination that determines what it is?
1: Yeah. I'd be tempted to go with like, I don't know, you have a toddler and there's a mischievous chimera there and you're in another room for a bit and you come back. There can be some things that where you go, oh, that toddler just messed things up, but it was the chimera.
0: I always love that scene in The Sixth Sense where Tony Collette and Haley Joel Osment are like in the kitchen and Tony Collette's like, oh, you know, I got to go get your different tie or whatever. And she walks and the camera follows her for 10 seconds to the laundry room. Then she comes back into the kitchen and she screams and jumps because Haley Joel Osment is still sitting frozen at the table, but all of the cabinet doors are open. And she's like, "Were you looking for something?" And that kind of moment, I think, is like a really great. um, Yeah, can also get
1: your character in trouble too. Actually, I think about it. Yeah, yeah,
0: exactly. Those kinds of moments, I think, really drive home that uncertainty. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, though, again, changeling is probably the one where you can hand wave it the most. So. So then Seb asks, would chimerical food be filling or nutritious to fey beings? In the dreaming? Both. Outside of the dreaming? Yep. Yay! I would say it could probably give a slight sensation of fullness for a bit, but you're still aware of your autumn hunger, and you wouldn't get nutrition from it in the mundane sense,
1: anyway. Yeah. Assuming you're talking about changelings, not yes. other chimera yes. or
0: something, yeah. Seb also asks if a weird cantrip can affect autumn reality and the mist can cover up actions, then what happens if you injure someone? There was an extended discussion on the discord about this. Do we want to summarize it very briefly?
1: Um, I
0: think we came down on the mists blur everyone's memories into something reasonable about how the injury occurred
1: in that instance, yeah. but there's other
0: weird cantrips.
1: I would look at the mist chart, so it actually does talk about different banality levels the mists affect differently. Mm. So if there's an unenchanted mortal with banality two, and there's an un, also an um, unenchanted mortal with banality nine, the one with banality two will have, remember it pretty well. And if they're say, with someone with five, they'll have like a weird distorted memory. And the one with nine will be like, what are you talking about that never happened? But you, you have a hole in your chest. We were there. We saw it happen.
0: No, I don't, I don't know. This, this has always been here. Yeah. I'm an accountant. No offense to
1: accountants. Or they just don't remember why they got hurt.
2: I think another way of taking it is that you can have the scene unfold with the knowledge that it will be concealed in mind. So that sword slash actually Mm -hmm. isn't the butt of the blade. It was something else that causes an internal injury Mm -hmm. that doesn't create that seeming contradiction. I think there are ways to run those weird scenes such that the evidence of it is self hiding Mm -hmm. that in the act, it is not the miss coming back and cleaning up, but the word, the episode that Josh and I are throwing back and forth retro causality, the miss knows that it will have to reassert itself. And it unfolds in such a way that it always looks like it's
1: going to be regular. I think you can get to the point, like there are fairy hunters Mm -hmm. somewhat. And there are things like that where it's like, I don't care if you did the mists your effect here is going to lead to some very uncomfortable questions and it's it's not common for that to happen but it can
0: this is one of the aspects that makes the presentation of Dante kind of difficult because if your banality is that high at what point does memory modification become just amnesia and then like you Mm -hmm. can't remember why you're hunting what you're hunting or why
1: yeah, but you could have like, I don't know if you're doing a technocracy game and your agents are all high banality. You could have a thing where you, you go into a scene where you're going to be approaching these strange interdimensional beings. And I mean, there's a whole bunch of safety tools and, and making sure your players are okay with this. But it's like, no, you don't, none of you remember what happened in that scene. And now you're like bleeding out and stuff and you got to deal with that consequences. There is no anti-memetics division. This is
2: not your first day. Yep. Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> are there any other... I think that was all the questions. I guess, thus endeth Metaphysics 101. Mm-hmm. There will be a test for anyone seeking to advance to Metaphysics 102.
2: Yep, that test is running a game that
1: involves metaphysics for at least five sessions. <laughs> and then we'll we'll do we follow-up uh, changeling ethics, uh, changeling phenomenology. Oh, changeling ontology could be...
0: Eschatology.
1: Eschatology, ontology. Ontology is kind of metaphysics.
0: Oh, I
2: want the changeling
1: a eschatology we, see. we are actually going to be hitting a lot of
0: those (laughs) yeah (laughs) terry is there anything that you'd like to promote pitch talk about
2: the only two things i have are if you're more interested in this mage game and the varied conversations or would like to hear about changeling from the mage side where a number of changeling related folk have come to join us we also had a brief conversation with harry heckle who did writing in the early world of darkness, and kind of portrayed an interesting idea of what the dreaming was. Uh, you can hear more at Mates the Podcast, which is mage thepodcast.com. My other weird little side project is Pain in the Dice, because games are fun but sometimes hard, and that is pain in the dice.com. I have a few interviews from. Uh, Gen Con that'll be going up there also my my attempt at creating a weird way to draft a character and I'll, I'll hopefully be porting that to the Old World of Darkness soon but there or at Terry Robinson on the Bird app.
0: There will be links in the show notes to this episode
1: uh, Yeah, thank you very much Terry
0: Thank you. Gladly
1: Yes, so uh, once again you can uh, find our podcast changelinkthepodcast.com send us an email podcast at changelinkthepodcast.com Follow us on Facebook. We're actually starting to get some lively discussion going on. Change the podcast page. We're on Mastodon. ChangeLinkPod at dice.camp. And our Discord is discord.me slash CTP. Links
0: will, again, all be in the show notes.
1: Yes. And once again, I'm Josh.
0: I am the platonic ideal of Puka.
1: And remember, glamour is not gnosis, is not pathos but they are quintessence
0: (laughs) i don't know i couldn't think of anything
1: the nature of fey existence is something
0: that has preoccupied cathane since long before the shattering she philosophers have written extended treatises considering the nature of the arcadian soul Seder gurus have penned socratic dialogues asserting that pleasure is the first principle of the universe Surprisingly, the simplest and most coherent answer came from our survey of a Bakken quilting bee, whose matrons told us they'd long ago deduced that the answer to life's questions was to channel all existential wrangling into baking. Whatever dream stuff is, what really matters in the end is that it makes for an absolutely killer banana bread. These interviews, and the rest of our content, are fostered by the support of you, our listeners, and particularly our patrons, Derek, Dorchidas, Oreo, Raskaboos, Sandshicker, Seija, Terry Robinson, and Tricerabeth. You can join their ranks and receive benefits, including a shout-out every episode, by signing up at www.patreon.com slash changelingthepodcast. We also appreciate reviews left on the podcast listening platform of your greatest convenience. Thanks for going with us on this esoteric journey, and until next time, keep on dreaming. Here come the outtakes
2: sympathetic nighttime place sounds like a literal translation of like a kiki in japan or mm-hmm. something like that oh i was
0: gonna say some kind of 13th century sexual manual yeah okay I, I'll, <laughs> I'll take that too we didn't get to the notion of what constitutes a soul but maybe next time
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, that's Let's an know. easy one right jerry <sighs> uh,
2: so the, luckily the one game that answers that question is mummy Yep. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, your soul is your ba plus your ka plus your ket plus your keter plus your sekum. Um, kaibit. don't forget kaibit. It, easy, ka, yes. The high um, like this is a thing where the world of darkness does answer this question, and everyone else too thoroughly has their, their head up their own ass to answer it. So, what is it? The kat, the ba, the ka, the ab the ku, the ren, the kaibit, and the sahu.
0: Azam.